You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. What does Mother's Day mean to you? How is it normally celebrated in your house? I use it as an excuse to sleep in and an excuse to maybe get a bit of book reading time. Kathy Lett is an author and comedian. Her latest book is called Husband Replacement Therapy, which I will not be picking up on Mother's Day because it would worry my husband too much. She's here with us from London, where it is very early indeed. Hi, Kathy. How are you? Hello. I think husbands should buy HRT, husband replacement therapy, because after after six weeks of lockdown, what woman isn't ready to recycle <laughs> her husband? I think he should give it to her very sheepishly and say, I'm sorry, I will, I will be new and improved, I promise. <laughs> I was going to ask you what it's like in London at the moment. Well, it much, it's much more grim than it is in Australia, obviously, because we have this terrible Tory government here who did nothing for a month, they procrastinated. And Boris Johnson ignored all the red flags, you know, he ignored the coronavirus horror that was coming. I mean, Helen Keller could have seen it coming. <laughs> and they just did absolutely nothing. So we've had we've got twenty eight and a half thousand deaths already. Wow. And things things are things are pretty grim. The English are very good at keeping calm and carrying on, you know, that whole Brits mentality. But I think after this is over, there's going to be quite a reckoning because this is a government that have blood on their hands. Mm. And how have you been coping in isolation, Cathy? Oh, well, it was, it was, I was in Australia, actually. Um, I was learning to sail with my three sisters in the Sundays. Wow. And we had no radio contact for about a week. And you know how everything escalated? Like suddenly it was, it, we were into lockdown? Yes. So we, we were blissfully, you know, bobbing about you know, on the sea. And we had no, you know, those Japanese soldiers who came out of the Philippine jungles and they didn't know the war was over. Yes. We didn't know the war had begun. We got back to shore and suddenly there were, there was no toilet paper and there were queues and there were closing borders and the body count was going up. We were like, oh my goodness. So we got the last plane back to Sydney before they closed the border, Queensland border. And then I had to make this harrowing decision about staying in Sydney to look after my 88 year old mum or boomeranging back to Britain to look after my 29-year-old autistic son. You know, what a choice I had to make. But um, in the end, my mother made me go, you know, so uh, but we, it was a very poignant goodbye because we couldn't even hug or kiss. We just oh, had to have a tough. weird elbow action. So, but, but I'm glad I, I had came back to him because if neurotypical people like us are finding the lockdown hard, the people who suffer from anxiety disorders, I mean, it's just excruciating. So, you know, it's been challenging because of, of my son having to keep him buoyant and keep reassuring him. But it's also had its its weird kind of upside, hasn't it? Rediscovering family time and and slowing down. You know, I'm I'm usually like I buzz around like a hyperactive bumblebee. You know, rick I ricochet around parties and opening nights and theatre and you know <laughs> seeing my girlfriend and swinging off a chandelier with a toy boy between my teeth so to actually calm it down and rediscover little things you know just sitting in the garden and reading more and all that has been kind of extraordinary so it's been terrible and it's been horrific of course but it's also been quite nourishing in some weird way have you found that Oh, totally. Definitely. And there are days where 
I am loving being with my kids and having more time to exercise and all the stuff I haven't been able to do for eight years or something. And then there's other days, mostly when I have to homeschool, where I I think my anxiety levels go through the roof and I'm like, when are they going back? When does it start again? Okay, I do know. I, I'm not homeschooling. That must be a nightmare. Although, I, I, even though I don't have any school-age children, I am enjoying saying to any men in my vicinity, Ms. Lett will see you in her office now. You've been a very naughty boy. <laughs> I bet you are. I suppose after lockdown, how will the world change? There'll be no more queues. I mean, at the moment in Britain, we're still really queuing to get into supermarkets and you've got to wear shin pads, crash helmet take a hockey stick you know and you by the time you queue and you get in there there'd be like one thing left on the shelf so uh, of course after lockdown the only cues will be for waxing salons because i mean i mean i didn't like my beard at first but then it grew on me we cannot wait to get back have a little bit of attention but i think the other thing that will happen is that divorce rates will go up i mean that's what happened in china Right. The divorce rates escalated and 74% of the divorces were initiated by women. Wow. The reason they gave was the lack of domesticity that they, they, their husbands um, contri- contributed. They didn't do any housework is what I'm saying through the lockdown. And, and, I, and I'm sure we're going to see a similar corona uncoupling in the antipodes. Maybe not so conscious, but um, yeah. Well, it is um, Mother's Day coming up. And I'm wondering what Mother's Day was like for you when you were small, when the kids were small, sorry, not when you were small, when your kids were small. Oh, well, listen, mothers are runners up in the human race, aren't we? We're always, we're second class citizens. And our importance comes sort of somewhere under beneath the guinea pig and the, <laughs> and the cat. And then there's us. So for the one day of the year, you don't have to let your guilt gland throb that whether you've you know, given them their five bits of fruit a day and whether you've you know read them enough educational homework and made enough done enough so made enough space helmets out of loo rolls to stimulate their, their craniums. So for one day of the year, it mother can just you know put herself first, lie in the bath all day, read a book. Everybody has to be nice to her. Put her on a pedestal. I think we should make it mother, not Mother's Day. It should be Mother's Month. Oh, that's nice. Because, you know, nobody, all the, all the effort that goes into talking to mothers, women about childbirth, you know, all the classes and all of that, and then there's nothing about what comes next. And, and it's, I mean, even if you think about your own body, what happens to you, the cracked nipples, the constipation, the mountains of hemorrhoids, I mean, Edmund Hillary can scale those <laughs> You know, then there's the, then there's the fact that you can't escape. You know, as a, as a man, the man can nip off down the pub, but as the mum, you're tethered by the tip. You're a 24-hour catering service. You are meals on heels, right? <laughs> then there's the sleep deprivation, the sex deprivation, because kids are a contraceptive. Every time you go to make love, the baby wakes up or the toddler toddles in. When I was in Manchester on book tour a few years ago, a woman there gave me a fantastic sex tip for new parents. Vaseline on the doorknobs. <laughs> they can't get in. <laughs> genius. Genius. Although I always think as a new mother, do you really want to have sex? I don't think so. I think a new mother's favourite position is the doggy position where he begs and you just roll over and play dead. <laughs> 
Would you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've got a lock on our door, but locks don't always work because children just bash on it. And that kills the mood straight away. What are you doing in there? Doesn't work. They are very deceptive, as I said. <laughs> and what's it like now that your kids are older? What's it? Um, my mum keeps saying to me, "Oh, don't worry about Mother's Day. You're you're the mother now." And I'm like, "Don't be silly. You're still my mum and deserve spoiling on Mother's Day." She doesn't really mean it, you know that. Oh, I do. <laughs> she's, 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 you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Don't misread that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, the thing, well, teenage, raising teenagers is hideous, especially teenage daughters. Living with a teenage daughter is like living with the Taliban. You're not allowed to laugh, sing, dance, wear short skirts. And when my daughter was a teenager, you know, I'd be going out, I'd be wearing my little pink leopard skin mini skirt. And I know she wouldn't approve, so I'd, I'd creep down to the front door. But if she heard me, you know, she'd come running after me, after me and she'd say, what are you wearing? Go back to your room. You're not going out dressed like that. And I said, oh, one day, but surely I, my legs are okay. I can still wear a short skirt. She said, it's not the legs, mum. The skirt doesn't go with your face. Oh, my God. Low self-esteem is hereditary. You get it from your teenage daughters. <laughs> But if anyone's listening and they have got a teenage daughter, I have got a, a very good survival tip. Next time she hits you and kicks you and says, I wish you'd just die, just take a big drag on a cigarette, a big gulp of wine and say, I'm doing my best, darling. <laughs> <laughs> That's my top tip. But they do come out of it. You know, they get sort of taken by their host hostage by their hormones from about 13 to 18, 19. Oh, excellent. And then you get your loving daughter back. That's not a long stretch at all, is it? It's pretty horrific. But, you know, they do. in the end they do love you. But I don't think you actually really appreciate your mother until you've had your own children. Oh, definitely. Then you fully understand the self-sacrifice, the unconditional love, the sleepless nights. You know, that's when you think, oh, wow, if I'm doing this for my child, my mum did that for me. And that's a really sobering. Actually, you know, you just gave me an idea. What a great Mother's Day gift for new mums would be is their husbands or partners saying to them, hey, it's Mother's Day. Tonight, I'm going to get up to the baby every single time it makes a peep. What a brilliant, yeah. I am giving you a whole night's sleep. Yeah, and you know what? That shouldn't even be a gift. That should be a regular occurrence. That should happen right? every second day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think what happened with, for, for women, for my generation, we thought we were going to have it all and we just ended up doing it all. So um, and I, when I was, re I was researching a book called How to Kill Your Husband and Other Handy Household Hints, <laughs> when I had smaller children, and I... I do all my research in a scientific, in-depth fashion, like over cocktails with girlfriends. <laughs> and what I realised is that my, my women friends were not having sex with their husbands because they were exhausted and resentful. Because even though women make up 50% of the workforce, we're still doing, I would say, about 99.9% .9 of all the housework in the childcare. Of course, any man listening, not all blokes, of course there are some gorgeous, evolved love gods out there, but generally speaking, Men still say, oh, you know, I can't multitask. They'd have no trouble multitasking in an orgy, I hasten to add. But, <laughs> um, but I was thinking about this exhaustion thing. You know, when, if a woman's worked all day, come home at night, you know, cook the dinner, help with the homework, found the lost sports, put the washing on, done the ironing, 
um, done all the nagging about the teeth cleaning, read all the bedtime stories, defrosted the chops for tomorrow, put the cat out. By the time she gets into bed, the one thing she's fantasising about is sleep. And then you get the hand groping over the sheets and you think, oh, really? You know, here's this guy who hasn't talked to you all day or helped you around the house and he thinks you're in the mood for love. You're in the mood for running things through with a carving knife. <laughs> so let's have a chat about your latest book, Husband Replacement Therapy. It, it does feel like a potentially dangerous read for anyone in lockdown at the moment that may have, you know, maybe feeling a little bit like they've got itchy feet. <laughs> well, it's a comedy, you know, and I think has there ever been a better time to bring out a funny novel? Because they say laughter is the best medicine. It's the only medicine we have right now. Mm. And if you can laugh at something, it takes the sting out of it. It's like strapping a giant shock absorber to your brain. So, my, and the message is saying to women, you know, put yourself first. You don't have to um, think of yourself as just, you know, a, a, a second-class citizen, as I said earlier. Um, and I think if for men too they if they read it i think if, i always try and disarm the charm if you can make someone laugh you can slip your message down more easily and my message is saying to men if you don't want to be put out with the garbage you need to pull up your psychological socks and help more around the house and uh, you know it's not as though we feminists are asking for a lot we'd like equal pay yes that would be great We'd like men to work out that mutual orgasm is not an insurance company. Fantastic. <laughs> We'd like them to help around the house, which is in their interest because it's scientifically proven that no woman ever shot her husband while he was vacuuming. <laughs> and we'd like them to, to do, do the odd sensitive thing with snow peas in the kitchen because the way to a woman's heart is through her stomach and is not aiming too high. Men always say to me, oh, what do women want in bed? Breakfast. Breakfast? <laughs> a really good book so for mother's day if husbands give their wife breakfast in bed or their partner breakfast in bed and how to kill your and um uh hrt husband replacement therapy i think you know they can have a, a good chuckle a good laugh and it might kind of break the tension and let them allow them to kind of move on in a fairer and more fabulous way so so yeah i don't think people should be worried about it i think australians especially have such a good sense of humor yeah. I mean, our sense of humour is drive in an AA clinic and we don't suffer from an irony deficiency. So I, I think it's actually a perfect literary tonic for the times. Yeah. Um, look, there are insights in there about what it's like to be a woman of 50 or thereabouts. How many of your, the experiences in the book are gleaned from your own life? Oh, well, quite a few. <laughs> I mean, writers make a living out of lying. I mean, I think your first book, <laughs> the first book I wrote, Puberty Blues, was pretty autobiographical because you don't, haven't developed the skills at that stage on how to sort of disguise things more, more adroitly. But, um, you know, most of, the, most of the scenarios in the book I've taken from real life. If I, have any, if I have any gift as a writer at all, I think it's putting into words what women are thinking, but not necessarily ha having the courage to say out loud, and also writing down the way women talk when there's no men around. Because, you know, it's a great male myth that women aren't funny. And I, I've, I'm published in about 19 languages, and I've been on book tour to a lot of countries around the world. And some male journalists will always say to me, oh, you know, you say you write funny books, women aren't that funny. I think, why do some men still say this? You know, and I, I think they, 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 I think they're terrified what it is we're being funny about. I think they presume we spend the entire time 
talking about the length of their members, which obviously is not true because we also talk about the width, which after <laughs> childbirth is so much more important. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think... Uh, I, I think that's all That's all I do is write down the truth in an amusing way. And I do use a lot of my own experiences because I only write because it's cheaper than therapy, of course. <laughs> and I, I did think it's an unexplored area. I mean, my mother's generation, when they turned my age, they just sort of sat at home knitting their bus passes and, and they, they sort of felt like an orthopedic shoe or kind of well-worn and comfy and, you know, and, uh, uh, unremarkable. And I thought I would feel like that at this age, but I, I totally don't. I mean, I, I just feel like going out and getting a glitter ball graze on my nose from, you know, doing the tango with some Brazilian hot to trot spunk rat. So, <laughs> or whatever, you know, I want to go, I want to go up, up Everest and down the Amazon. And, and it's interesting that the two chief times for divorce, the two peaks are when the last child finishes school and when the husband retires. And the majority of divorces in Australia are initiated by women. And I think for the first time in life, women can have a second act because we're, we're financially independent and we have the rocket fuel of HRT. And what happens is, as people age is that for women, um, their estrogen goes down and your testosterone comes up. So you get a little bit more feisty, a little bit more bolshy, a little bit more selfish, a little bit more like a bloke, actually. But for men, the opposite happens, where their, their testosterone goes down and their estrogen comes up, which is why, you know, older guys will see them, you know, maybe shedding a tear in the movie and, and, and they want to stay at home and nest. And women are like, I've nested. You know, I've roasted 400 flocks of sheep. I've, I've, I've roasted 4,000 schools of salmon, you know. I've buttered four million acres of toast. I, I want to go out and conquer the world. So there's a real um, shift and a real uh, dichotomy in what older couples want that a society hasn't really addressed yet. So, um, you know, it's just something, it's a inter really interesting area to explore and also to say to women, have fun, be frivolous, adventure before dementia, carpe the hell out of diem, you know, if not now, then. <laughs> Yeah, I really find that interesting because I feel I'm in my 40s and I just I look around and there aren't that many examples of where to next. You know, you're expected to get married, have your children, maybe buy a house and then and then what? You know, your kids get to primary school and depending on what sacrifices you've made while they're growing up, it's like, well, what does happen once you're of a certain age and you want to move forward? And all of a sudden you're looking at, oh, my goodness, well, we're not going to retire for a long time. So what does that mean? And there don't seem to be that many examples of what happens for women after a certain age. Well, and of course, you know, some of my friends haven't um, divorced their husbands, but they, they sort of lead separate lives that the women go on holidays with their girlfriends. And, and you know, I always think your girlfriends are your human wonder bras, uplifting, supportive and making each other look bigger and better. That's like my life motto. <laughs> and, and you know, to keep each other buoyant in that way and cherish your girlfriends, let your cups runneth over with love for your girlfriends is so important because there'll come a stage where you will kind of, it almost goes back to being like a teenager where your girls went round in a pack because the, the, the older you know, older guys just, you know, they do, get, they do get a little bit boring. My only commandment is thou shalt not bore. <laughs> and sometimes they, they do break it. 
So I say to any man listening, keep vital, you know, change, stimulate your mind. Otherwise, you will be left behind by your, your female partner because we get better with age. I, mean, I think women really hit their prime in their 50s because um, for, for the first time, you don't care what people think about you. You know, you're no longer worried about the male gaze. It's incredibly liberating. People don't talk about the menopause in a positive way. It's so fabulous on the other side. I mean, it's awful going through the menopause. It's, it's, you feel like the, you sweat so much, you think the Gestapo are trying to sweat a confession out of you. <laughs> but once you get through that, no periods, you know, no, no, no pregnancy scares. Uh, you know, you just, you've got more energy, more pizzazz, you've got more confidence. I think it's the best time of a woman's life is that second act. So you have got something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. And also because the kids are older, you can finally cut the psychological umbilical cord that's kept you tethered to the kitchen by your heartstrings and your apron strings. You know, you do get this moment where you, you get your freedom back. So it's something to cherish and look forward to. I think I have to end on that note because it's such a it's such a hopeful note, I think. Well, you know, I, I totally adore Australian women. I love my sisters and my female friends. I think Australian women are the world's best kept secret. Fabulous, <laughs> funny, feisty, fiercely loyal. So, you know, it's lovely to talk to you. And I just want to say hello to all the women listening and just say keep keep laughing, keep loving and keep drinking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. That's not going to stop in a hurry. <laughs> Fine, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Kathy, and have a beautiful Mother's Day. And hopefully, when this is all over, you'll come back and do a tour for this book for us as well. Oh, I'd love that. Okay, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks, Kathy. Bye. That's Kathy Lett, author and comedian. Her latest book is called Husband Replacement Therapy, and you'll find links to where you can get a copy of that book in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.